Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. Psalm 49 is a call to all the nations. High and low, rich and poor, everyone who has ears, let him hear that money cannot save us. Today, people say that wisdom comes from technique. Gain a skill, read a book, go to a conference, take a course, follow a plan, and listen, no one is against hard work. But hard work alone doesn't bring wisdom. In fact, sometimes our success actually brings deeper stubbornness because your ways seemed to work, at least for a time. John Calvin says that wisdom is not the growth of human genius. It must be sought from above. And so today, we stake our identity on many, many things, don't we? And the chief among them, perhaps among the top three, is wealth. You say, listen, I know, pastor, that money can't save me. I live in Oklahoma. If I thought money could save me, I'd be moving to the East Coast. I'd be looking for a house in the Hamptons. I'd be trying to find my place in L.A. Listen, the problem of money goes far deeper than your geography, and you can't use that as an excuse because you know your heart. And you know that whether you've been blessed with much or with little, you simply have much or you have little. It doesn't define who you are, by the way. But you use it, don't you? You use it to define who you are, and you begin to feel extremely proud when you have a lot and you begin to feel like you are a failure if you have a little. Listen, the ways of the world today basically tell you that you are judged by what you have. Children, please hear me. You go to school, pressure is on you. Go to college, get a job. Do something that you can actually get a job to do when you go to college. Don't study history or politics. Study accounting. But when you have a lot of money in life, you know what that means biblically? It means that you have a lot of money. And when you have a little money in life, do you know what that means biblically? It means you have a little money. But it does not change who you are, nor does it define your identity. And Psalm 49 is a clarion call for us to see five things. The folly of trusting in wealth, the fact that you can't take any of it with you, the price if you give your life to that, the payment that's been provided for you and the promise that is yours. These five things, the folly, the fact, the price, the payment, the promise. Got it? Let's look and let's see how Psalm 49 helps us with this deep idol of our heart. First, the folly. What's the problem? The world trusts in wealth. Do you? The psalmist says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? Listen, why is it that the people who cut corners always seem to get away scot-free? Why is it that I am working like a dog and this other person over here seems to hardly work and yet he is provided for more? And it fuels your heart to begin to think differently of who God has made you to be. And you begin to look down your nose with condescension at those who have more than you. Or if you've been blessed, you begin to think that it's because of your strong 
work ethic that provided these means for you. Listen, who controlled who, what family you were born into? Who set the boundaries of your habitation? Who put you where he put you in line with your school or with your education to get what you have now as a skill to use for gainful employment? But the Lord, he's controlled every day of your life. And friends, please hear me. He didn't make a mistake. And isn't it interesting how you look at people who have more than you do? And in your jealousy, you look down with condescension upon them. Or if you have more, then you take confidence that you deserve that. But listen, the psalmist helps us with the corrective here, doesn't he? Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the power of my house goes out? When the tree has fallen on my neighbor's roof and landed on my own garage? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth. And the Lord later says through the psalmist in verse 13, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. (laughs) Foolish confidence. There's a confidence that you can have that's foolish and that you trust in the idols of your heart to redeem you and to ransom you. They cannot. In the book, Rich, Free, and Miserable, John Brueggemann explores this market dynamic and how it's invaded every aspect of the American family today. He argues that the average American believes that a professional opportunity in another city away from extended family must always be taken seriously, even though many of the top firms that are recruiting you and hiring you pay nothing to firm loyalty. The goal of personal ambition for adults and their professional aspirations and that of their children in pursuit of achievement and fulfillment increasingly trumps our hope for the coherence of family relationships. Haven't you seen that to be true in your own life? For example, he takes on the example of working women. Now, that's not to say that women can't work, of course. Read Proverbs 31. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm using John Brueggemann's language here to help illustrate the fragmentation that happens in the family when we pursue wealth. Some at the time and energy, use time and energy to cultivate cohesion in the home. But when we run after increased salary, more financial gain, we reallocate much of the new opportunities for us to invest in work. Beyond the historical shift of women now filling the workplace, it has been enabled by part, in part by the heroic, the heroic accomplishment of the women's movement. And indeed, there are other factors. Working for economic stability, especially against constraining pressures, is is an understandable distraction from the full devotion to life at home. But somewhere along the way, many Americans, men and women, cross the line between stability and indulgence. It's a serious problem that certainly cannot be laid at the feet of the women's movement. John Brueggemann doesn't profess to be a Christian, but yet he taps into something deeper than any movement that is our temptation as human beings to begin to believe that wealth is what's going to solve most of our problems. Listen, PSO doesn't care how much money you have. When your home is without power, your home is without power. And when your heart is without power, your heart is without power until the Lord gives you a new heart by faith. Now, the folly of foolish confidence is obvious, and I know that you feel it because I can feel the silence in the room. But there is a fact as well. That the, f- the fact is that the wise and foolish alike die and can't take anything with them. 
Doesn't matter how wise you've been with money. Doesn't matter how foolish you've been with money. Doesn't mean you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. Doesn't mean if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, you can't take your financial gain with you. I, um, uh, growing up, there were in, in my neighborhood two brothers, and they were um, both extraordinary men. Both men um, had gained a lot in the oil industry, and both had homes in the neighborhood two doors down from each other. Not next door neighbors, they were separated by one house. When the father passed away, he left the oil um, company to these two brothers, but there was a division amongst the brothers. They didn't agree on how it should be run. And they split ways over finances and they lived for the next 30 years, two houses down and never talked. And I think about these brothers and I think about this social fragmentation that happens so much of our life when we let money get in the way. Brueggemann again says, not surprisingly, when family members don't slow down from all the productive activity, turn off their computers and cell phones and turn toward each other, they don't know how to be together. And as one sociologist says, frequently in the family's fragmentation, members retreat to their own interests. They play video games, they watch television, they write emails, they work on the computer, they talk on the phone. And I know I'm saying this to my own shame and how I sometimes allow my own phone, right, to get in the way. It's too bad my cousins are coming to visit. One colleague's five-year-old daughter, Hannah, recently lamented, I won't get to play with them while they're here because all they'll be doing is listening to their iPods. That was written 20 years ago. Today, what is it? Their phones, right? Old problem. Like many kids their age, these cousins are coming over to play, but they won't get to spend time with them because they'll be in another world. And the money problem goes deep, doesn't it? Because it helps us recognize that there actually are two worlds that most of you live in, the online world, the digital world, and the real world. But it is in the real world and the healing presence of the incarnational power of Jesus that you begin to recognize the price that you're beginning to pay and the fragmentation of your lives. Notice what the psalmist says. He says here that there is a payment. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. There's a payment here that must be paid. The word for ransom is pada in Hebrew. The root word is used over 69 times. It means to transfer ownership from one person to another through the payment of a price or an equivalent substitute. When God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, he brought them out at the price of the slaughter of all the firstborn of Egypt, man and beast, Exodus chapter 4, and again in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. And the event was to be perpetually celebrated in ancient Israel by the consecration of all the firstborn of man and beast to the Lord, Exodus chapter 13, verse 12. But in the New Testament, we read, the author of Hebrews is trying to think about ways to help us understand the price that's been paid for us. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come down, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not his own, of his own creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, Hebrews chapter 9 securing us in eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, you might say, and the running after, the 
promotions that so many of you pursue, if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will it purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God? The payment of our sin cannot be paid off with Bitcoin or dollars or yen or euro. It has to be paid with a person. And the good news of the gospel is, friends, that there is a power that money can never turn back on. And the only way it can get turned back on is if the Lord Jesus Christ, who did indeed come, becomes a source of your power, who gives to you a righteousness Though it was costly to him, it was free to you. That's called grace. Because he died on the cross to be for you the perfect and once for all sacrifice. To deliver you from the idols of your heart, which are many, as John Calvin says. Chief among them, perhaps, your worship of wealth. And helps you be able to say that every dollar you have, if you have much, you just simply have much. If you have little, you just simply have little. But it doesn't change who you are as a son or a daughter of the king. The world, um, gosh, there's so many illustrations I can give. Thinks of so many different counterfeit gospels, don't they? Um, Not money, but feelings, for example. The key to happiness doesn't lay in the numbers in a bank account, but in the way we make others feel, in the way they make us feel, said the great theologian Joe Rogan. By putting yourself in that intense form of stress, it makes regular life more peaceful, Joe says. Work your way back into a righteousness. It's not money, perhaps, but it's feelings. You just see how we just, we just switch the idols. Now it's how you feel. It's not about how much money you have. You're great. Yeah, I'm all for that. It's how you feel. Well, that's an idol too, isn't it? Gail Sheehy is a popular writer of a book that came out in the 70s called um, Passages. And she writes, would that there was an award for people who come to understand the concept of good enough. Good enough, successful enough, thin enough, rich enough, socially responsible enough. When you have self-respect, you have enough. But we define self-respect these days in terms oftentimes of how much cash you have in your account or what you're choosing to do with it in your wisdom. And that is a foolish confidence. And the fact is you can't take it with you. And the price is it will cause you to live a fragmented life. But there's been a payment for you, and that payment comes with a promise that is yours, that can never be taken away. But God, verse 15, will ransom my soul for the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. You will be ransomed, the psalmist says to ancient Israel, and we know as those who come after the time of Christ, you have been already, but not yet. So how are you already beginning to allow the way you use your money to bring glory to God. And how is he already, but not yet helping you to use it in ways that honor him? Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, verse 16, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away and his glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, verse 15, but God will ransom my soul for the power of Sheol. He will receive me. That's a promise to you. And what does that mean? It means that he is no fool who can give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, as Jim Elliot said. You are a child of God. 
Trinity Presbyterian Church, you are children of the living God. Your father has infinite wealth far beyond anything you could ever imagine in time, space, and history. And you know what he says? He says, I love you because I love you. He has set his love on you. And when you have that identity, when you have that, that you accept by faith, that when you realize it is not earned, but it is received, you have an anchor that roots you in a world that is so fiercely competitive about money. And so that you can have a new freedom and a new joy with what the Lord has been given to you because your money is, has been replaced by the relationship that God has called you to allow to flourish with him. And that means if it flourishes with him, it also flourishes with the church. And that means for those of you who are on the outside looking in, become part of the church. We want you to be with us. It's the wealth of the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the grandeur of God that he shapes us in community together. Because we need people who can keep us anchored to our true identities because the temptation is so great to disconnect. It doesn't take me, listen, in two hours when you're paying for lunch or you're thinking about your Sunday afternoon, if you're not intentional about trying to keep your Sabbath, your mind will immediately go to the worries of your week. You need each other to bring us back. That's what worship is about. Do you hear me or is this falling on deaf ears? And in that deep place, come on, we're going to make Baptists out of us after all. Your stable core, your sacred center has been so unknown to you for so long because you've been chasing it. But that sacred core, that sacred center is an identity that is given to you by faith. It is a righteousness that you can't earn. And it's an And isn't it beautiful that when that becomes the place, you're able to face the abandonment that comes when you, the stock market falls out from under you. You're able to face the fact that it doesn't change who you fundamentally are. You're Christ and he's got you. And your worth is not dependent upon what you have. It is a joy, is it not, to use God's gifts as stewards and not as slaves. It's a joy. And it's also hard for many, isn't it? But it should be our joy. And the gospel invites us to perceive ourselves as the psalmist does, that in a billion years from now in the new Jerusalem, when we experience life without sin, we will look back and say, Lord, you gave me what you gave me to be able to steward for your glory. Lord, may I do it with joy. Because the glory of man in how much he has will not go down to him to the pit. And as Henry Nouwen once wrote, only God can fully dwell in that deepest place in you and give you a sense of safety. Only God provides that in Christ. And the danger remains, Nouwen writes, that you will let other people run away with your sacred sinner and they will throw you again into anguish. But the psalmist says to us, if you allow Jesus to reorder your loves by the Holy Spirit, you can finally indeed be free. And it does take work because it takes the discipline of coming back again and again to the gospel. But it is not a work that you, by which you earn your righteousness. It is a work by which you practice the confession that you have no righteousness to offer. And you come again to the cross of Jesus and you say, Jesus, would you help me to steward my wealth? And everybody in this room is wealthy by the standards of the world. Please don't think for a second that you're not. Would you help me to steward my wealth in ways that honor and glorify you? And wouldn't it be great 
if we could learn to pray like Psalm 49 invites us to pray. To say, Lord, when I'm surrounded by those who seem to have it better off, may I not think less of myself. May I simply look to you as the one who has satisfied me with the richness of a righteousness I did not earn and help me to live out of the joy of that. Don't you want that? You can have it. Christ offers it to you free of charge at the cost of his own life because he gave up his wealth for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.